0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love... No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Just remain standing for a prayer. And I'm going to use a prayer which I always used to pray before preaching. Somehow it sort of died out, but I want to pray it again tonight. May the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm very grateful for your uh, attendance here tonight and I just see one or two people from other church fellowships. So nice to have you with us. If I may give out a notice to one in particular, there's one person who thinks I'm coming to preach this church next year, but I'm, I'm not now. So will you please note that fact that I'm now uh, calling it a day for all preaching. So I'm sorry to let you down on one month. If you know, if you know who I am, you're there. Uh, sorry about that, but I decided prayerfully uh, and I decided, Margaret didn't uh, in any way push me that there comes a time when it's right to say no to s- draw the line and I believe it's right to make this my last sermon so uh, that's it I shall be attending worship here regularly and I'm, sure, I'm not sure Margaret's too pleased about that because I, I, I wriggle I, I'm a sort of a difficult person to sit next to uh, I don't wriggle much when it's good preaching with the pulpit, Paul's here alright I shall, I shall stay happy Anyway, here we are. Turn back to 1 John chapter 4, forget it all. It's, it's, uh, there's something quite sort of difficult about this weekend, uh, for, for me anyway. English cricket has gone into complete meltdown, I've come to the conclusion. <laughs> I have no idea how we're going to get anything out of that, that's, that's sad. Uh, <laughs> and my local football team are so bad that we were in euphoria about no, a nil-nil draw. We thought that was wonderful. <laughs> and I... D- This is such a moving day that I'd forgotten we're playing this afternoon. Uh, They shouldn't play on Sunday in any case, but I do discover we drew this afternoon. So there is hope for for, for the future for us Wednesday fans. So what a weekend. Here I am preaching my last sermon, English cricket in meltdown and Sheffield Wednesday struggling. What's new? But it's lovely to be here with you. So turn to me uh, to this uh, John's letter. I want to finish on this theme of God is Love. And it's written, of course, by John. Last week, I preached on Paul, writing from prison to the church at Philippi. Uh, And now here is John, who spent his uh, years, his final years on the Isle of Patmos. One day I was preaching in one of my preaching tours in a rather nice place called Samos, being well looked after in a very posh hotel. where Chris, I found a lot of Christians do enjoy posh hotels for these special meetings. And I was enjoying a posh hotel in Samos and you could stand there and look across and, and see the Isle of Patmos, which wasn't posh at all when John was there. There were no good hotels. He was living in exile. I looked across at that and I thought, that's what these men were prepared to pay the sake of the gospel Paul in prison John in exile and John still talks about God being love that word comes twice in our passage verse 8 and verse 16 that God is love and it's not always easy to see that now for you maybe you've had a great Christmas or you may be like a lot of people this time you're sort of kind of glad it's over Sad thing is I'm told that uh, there are more family breakdowns immediately after Christmas than any other time in the year when families are stretched. I hope you're not like that. But we've got to that point in life when we need to be reminded that God is love, even when we don't always see it so. I've noticed one or two things, uh, Lord Carey, the ex-archbishop of Canterbury, writing very solemnly, about our own country and the church in this country, Christians in this country being persecuted if they dare to stand up and be counted. That's courageous stuff, but true stuff, that things are difficult in our country and in many parts of the world. I saw a uh, a rather moving little uh, diagram of a child under a cross, simply from Syria. and And the message was, stop killing us. And how moving. For some people, following Jesus is stop killing us. We live in a world where militant Islam and other forces are doing their best to drive us out. So it's not the easiest time to preach a final sermon, uh, but I do it willingly and gladly because, in the midst of all that, we need to be reminded of how the gospel springs to life in such times. I don't know how you follow the ecclesiastical calendar. From now on, I've got plenty of time on my hands. I shall be careful to follow the Ecclesiastical Church of England calendar more effectively. And if you do follow the Church of England calendar, the Ecclesiastical calendar, what is the day after Christmas Day? No, it's not Boxing Day. That's a commercial producing. The day after Christmas Day is St. Stephen's Day. Stephen, who was martyred and massacred for his faith. And what's the next day after that? It's St. John's Day. We're thinking about him tonight. And the next day, Holy Innocence Day. Remembering the children who were murdered because Herod's fury wanted rid of Jesus. No, it's always been tough to be a Christian. I've got two quotes here to remind me. Next is my last sermon, so if I say things you've heard me say before, you can rest, it'll not be said again, so you can remember them. And please don't tell me you're going, when, I'm, when you're going past me out that you remember all these things. But there was that little boy who saw a picture of the crucifixion and said to his mother, Mummy, if God had been there, he wouldn't have let them do it, would he? How profoundly wrong, but how understandable. It was because God was there that it happened. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. One of the many things in in my ministry I've been privileged to be involved in that are now going on way beyond me was Tearfund. I can remember walking the streets of London with George Hoffman, the founder of Tearfund, thinking of this great movement he was wanting to do to reach out to the world. And we now take it for granted, Tearfund. If you don't know about Tearfund, you ought to. And uh, it's very much linked in with our church over the years. And uh, I remember George Hoffman traveling abroad visiting in the aid of this little this early tear fund movement and meeting a, a nurse who was doing her best to reach people in desperate circumstances, about to break down. She couldn't cope any longer and shedding tears on George Hoffman's shoulder, she asked the question, tears, please, George, where is God in all this? And George said, tell me, dear, why are you here? And she told him through her tears of how God had called her, You've answered your own question, my dear. Where is God in all this? You are. And I want to say that to us all today. Where is God in all this in the world of need where, where satanic forces are deliberately trying to bring the, our nation down. We need Christians who stand up and be counted. Where is God in all this? We are. Are we? Or do we prefer to be on the sidelines, let somebody else do it? I hope you stand up and are counted. No, I did preach my first sermon uh, from this pulpit, and I preached, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For those with good memories, the pulpit used to be that side. There are a few who remember the pulpit before all the extension. That was where the pulpit was and where I first preached (laughs) when I came. But uh, we've preached often, and we've, we've, we've talked to remind people that, We live in a world where there is constant tension, but God is sovereign. And where is God in all this? He's working out his purposes in the midst of a a suffering world. So I want to take with you some three very simple thoughts. It is inevitably a fairly emotional night for me. Uh, It'll be a shorter sermon than usual by that fact, so relax. Uh, And if I get lost in the middle, you'll have to allow it for, uh, I do occasionally get lost. So I have some notes here to make sure I don't get lost completely. And I want to remind yourself that these verses, God is love, is followed by three times in the passage, look at it, verse seven, 11, and 12, where we are told that we are to love one another. And the great challenge of this, let us love one another, we ought to love one another, if we love one another. That is the real test If God is love, if we want to prove to the world God is love, we are to be those agents of the love of God. And in this age, how desperately we need Christians to stand up and be counted. Three simple thoughts about love. First of all, it's God for us. That's the proof of God's love. That's verses 9 and 10. Secondly, it's God in us. That's the presence of God's love in verses 7 and 8 and uh, Thirdly, it's God through us. That's verse 11 and 12, the power of God's love. I alliterate to the very end. The one thing you always know about is I alliterate. There were people, naughty people in my congregation, who actually, when I'd given the first heading, tried to work out the next two uh, because they expected alliteration. If you're one of those people, you can rest now. It's all over. But the proof of God's love, the presence of God's love, the power of God's love. God for us, God in us God through us. And if that's true, then in in a world which doubts, where is God in all this? God of love? It's the heart of the Christian message, yet it's one that seems so hard to believe. See, John, the writer of this letter, the writer of the gospel, has three equations about God, if you like. God is spirit, that's in John chapter four. God is light, that's 1 John chapter one, verse five. God is love. And those have to be held, to, held together. For love for many people is a terribly sentimental, weak thing. If you love, you must never speak out against sin. If you love people, you, you turn a blind eye to what's going on. Christian church ought to be a loving church, include everybody, whatever way they live. Don't ask too many questions. Oh, but, but God isn't only love, He's love and light. The love that God has is a love for the sinner. He wants to change people. Don't please excuse. And unwilling to stand up and be counted because you're you're a loving person. God is love. He'll turn a blind eye. No, he won't. He sent his son to die on the cross because of sin. Turn a blind eye. But that's the proof of his love. God for us, verses nine and 10. And God for us, which is the heart of the Christian message, is in the life of Jesus and then the death of Jesus. Note that we're in verse nine. It starts in the life of Jesus. God showed his love among us, verse nine. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That is the very fact of the incarnation the very fact of Christmas, lo, within a manger lies he who built the starry skies. we just sung it. Staggering thought, isn't it? That there in that baby, in a manger, in a sturdy stable, is God himself, Emmanuel. That's how much he loved He sent his son, he bent his son, narrowed his son to this world, still God, but living in a world which rejected him. Last of all, said Jesus, speaking about himself, he sent his son, as he told a parable about his own ministry. The life of Jesus, one amongst us, was so that we might live through him. It couldn't happen until he'd been one of us. He had to be man. He had to suffer. He had to know the reality. Where is God in all this? He's been there. He went through more suffering than we shall ever know. And there's nothing in your life that uh, he hasn't been through, of course, not the same sufferings. Yes, I remember once I preached in this pulpit and I'd said that God has been through everything we've been through. And there are people in full, they always challenge you at the door, not many, but there are one or two. And this dear lady, who was much older than I was then, she's about the age I am now, as I remember it. And she said, we know you were wrong, What we said this morning, vicar, God has not been through everything. Jesus didn't go through everything I've been through. Well, I said, what's that? Old age. Now, there you are. You've got to be careful. He never did, no. So I asked her, well, what's the worst thing about old age? Loneliness. Ah, I said. She wished she hadn't said it then. She got a sermon from me then. <laughs> never was a man more lonely than Jesus hanging on the cross. So there's no place you will ever be which has not been there before. So the life of Jesus is part of God for us, but supremely, of course, in verse 10, the death of Jesus. We were down with our family, uh, I say down in Essex for Christmas, but we did what many of you have done, I suppose, on Christmas Eve, went to communion in that church, and as we moved into Christmas Day, the birthday, what were we doing? Breaking bread, drinking wine remembering his death day I submit there's no other person in human history whose death is the most important thing how people die secondary but for us it's the absolute importance for there you see verse 10 he died as a propitiation he died uh, a death a sacrifice for us an atoning sacrifice for sins The, the Greek word is propitiation that is He took God's wrath upon himself. You see, it's a suffering we shall never know because he knew it. 2 Corinthians chapter five, it says he was made sin for us who knew no sin so that when he offered himself as a sin offering, he actually was bearing all the wrath of God. And because he did that, we needn't. Now, it's my last sermon, and I wouldn't want to have any sermon without suggesting there might be some people here tonight for whom it's not real for you. You haven't yet found out yourself that truth. Please, don't let me retire without you making that response. For until we get to that place where we acknowledge that he died for me, then we shall face the wrath of God. He's done it for me. He took it in himself. And the death of Jesus, that final sacrifice for sin, here is the proof of God for us, the proof of God's love. I bet there are times when you ask the question, where is God in all this? How do I know God loves me? Things don't seem to be going very well in our lives. Things are happening, illness, disappointment, being let down by people, all kinds of things. And therefore you need to keep constantly going back to the cross. Whatever else may be true, that's always true. That's why it's important the cross is there to remind us everything's under the cross. And though I go through times in life when I won't understand, I can always look there, God for us. The birth, the life, the death of Jesus. Secondly, God in us, that's verses seven and eight. If you like the presence of God's love, if we're true believers, in birth and in growth. You see that in verse 7, he, uh, let us love one another, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This great Greek word for love, agape love, of course there are non-Christians who love. And sometimes there are non-Christians whose care and action in care put some of us who are Christians to shame. No way would I suggest that we have a monopoly of love, but in the sense in which Paul is talking about the love of Jesus, then that love only comes as it when we know what it is to be born of God. In verse seven, that we are one of his children and uh, love comes from God. And when we've been born of God, then the proof we've been born of God is that we show it in our love. Now it's easy on this final sermon of my preaching here Just to remember what a wonderful lot you are and all the love we have over the years. We're all just ordinary. We've had our disappointments here. We've been let down sometimes and we've let down often. I'm sure that's true. But the overall thing is the love that demonstrates we are people of God and the difference it makes when we demonstrate in our love for one another that we are one. I go back to a church, not this church. Before, I, before we came here, we were 10 years in Edinburgh. And I remember a girl who uh, ran away from London. Uh, she was, she'd so disappointed in life, everything had gone wrong. And she always told me, I got on a train to go as far north as I could think. There were times I was ministering to her when I wish she'd known that Aberdeen was a bit further north than Edinburgh. <laughs> uh, because the hours we spent uh, trying to counsel Anne. But eventually she came through it all. And the thing I always remember, she said, I, I'd heard the message. She knew the gospel. But because she thought she'd been let down by Christians and other people, she wanted to say one of the best testimonies I've ever had to any church. She said, living here and the way you cared and went out of the way for me proved to me that yes, God does love. The cross is True. You showed it by the way you lived, you loved. And therefore, the loving one another was the way we were able to get through a message. God is love. So when we've been born of God, that's the way in in life, but also in growth. You notice that? The picture in these verses seven and eight is of Christians who know him. And if we know God, then we shall, uh, because God is love, knowing God is a constant relationship. You come to know somebody and you grow in it. One of the most solemn words in the Bible is a word to one of the greatest churches in the Bible, a church in Ephesus, marvellous church, a church where remarkable things happen, wonderful miracles, terrific church. Paul wrote one of his greatest letters to Ephesus. And John, our friend John, this John, on the Isle of Patmos, In the book of Revelation, sent a letter to the church in Ephesus, one of the saddest letters. He said, you're a fine church, you're full, and you're lively, but I've got this against you. You've lost your first love. I do hope you never do. Indeed, I would hope, I hope it's true in my life. That the more I get to know the Lord, the greater I love him. And when I look back on the ministry we had in this church and since, when we've been welcomed back as part of the church family and will still do so, the, the, the experience of seeing God at work in human lives is a tremendous encouragement. And we are meant to be growing. I hope I haven't lost my first love. Indeed, I would like to think that my love for him gets greater the more I see him at work. I do hope nobody here looks back and thinks how wonderful it used to be because that suggests something gone sadly wrong. Whether it's the church or your lives, of course this church has had great moments in the past. It'll have great moments under God in the future. And in our lives, well, I trust we're maturing and growing so that God in us will demonstrate the presence of God's love to a world that's sceptical, that will easily find reasons for not believing. We want to make it hard for people not to believe because he's so obviously at work here. Paul writing to the Corinthians on a particular issue where they were dividing the church said he was so thrilled to know that when people came in 1 Corinthians 14 who were unbelievers and they came into a worship meeting and they fell down and said, God is here. May nobody ever come through the doors of Christ Church forward and not know that God is here. And may we be those who demonstrate it by our lives. The presence of Jesus God in us. The proof of God's love. God for us. And finding the power of God's love. Those verses 11 and 12. Which I end my preaching. Here we are. Verses 11 and 12. Just let's remind you. It's first of all in verse 11. It's a, re- a reflection. Dear friends. Since God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. The more we meditate on the love of God. We want to reflect it. We want to reflect it to the world out there. A reflection. Because we love he, he loves us, we want to love one another. But even more, verse 12. Verse 12 is a kind of what I call a reproduction. And I knew as, as long ago as I knew I was going to preach this sermon, I knew I wanted to finish on this note. It's, it's a wonderful picture. Uh, when I, every time I notice the first time I preach from this pulpit, there is a text here to remind the preacher. Sir, we... Would see Jesus. If ever you mount this pulpit, that's there to remind you. And uh, I, I did notice that when I first came to preach here. And it is the tremendous challenge of a preacher to help people to see Jesus. Now, will you notice with me two very important verses that link together? John chapter one, verse eighteen, the Gospel of John 1, 18. Let me just read it to you. It's a very important uh, message. John one verse eighteen. Part of the Christmas message. No one has ever seen God. God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. But God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Now then turn back to 1 John chapter four and verse 12 and it begins exactly the same. No one has ever seen God. John's repeating himself. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Add them together? Nobody's ever seen God. God is beyond our understanding. God is great and majestic. I cannot ever see God. But Jesus has made Him known. Because we believe in this church without any doubt that Jesus is the word made flesh, God and man together, because we believe he is that, then looking at Jesus, we see God. Whoever Jesus said has seen me has seen the father. Don't ever listen to people who to suggest to you, well, he didn't claim to the son of God. Every page he was claiming to the son of God. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. What other man could even begin to say such words. Take those words out. You've lost the heart of the gospel. So Jesus said, look at me and you'll see what God is like. Yeah, I understand that. But wait a minute. Nobody's ever seen God, but they can see God if they see Jesus. And how are they gonna see Jesus today? In us. If we love one another, God lives in us and this staggering thing, his love is made Complete in us you see it's been a privilege to preach Jesus from this pulpit over the years and I have no doubt whatever that will continue in the ministry will follow and I should be happy and Martin and I will be happy in the pew to be part of this family then we are as we always have been but then supremely we are doing as big a job as I ever did up here We are called as members of the family of God to preach the word constantly. And if the word which I know will go on being preached faithfully from here, if it's going to have effect, it will be supremely when folk in Fulwood and beyond this great city of Sheffield and beyond seeing in our church love for one another, then they will see Jesus. And how desperate it is that people should. So thank you for your love and care over the years. Thank you for uh, letting me be around so long. I thank the present Paul and the team for inviting me back from time to time. Now I shall be down there with you as long as we have breath and able to remain around. But may I just ask you please to make sure that in the midst of all, The excitement of Christmas and the sort of interest and emotion of tonight. The most important thing is that we have a new vow. That I shall live in him. He died for me. I want to live for him. And I want to show his love. May God make that love perfected through us. I'm going to pray before we sing our closing hymn. Father, we do thank you that you are love. Thank you that you who are light, are light and love. You who are spirit, have come into the world in flesh and in Jesus died on the cross. Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. For all that great truth, we give you thanks. And we thank you for this church and pray that it may continue to be a place where we show forth by our love for one another that you are a God of love and that we may reflect something of the image and love of Jesus in our love for one another, that we may live and work to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.